Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and we'll be taking a look at some of the words and things he did in that time. So once again, John 6, 22 to 40. I'll just pray for us before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to gather together as a family uh, in Christ, uh, in spite of everything that's going on around us. Father, as we look into your word today, may it be a source of comfort as it points towards your unchanging truths and your promises to us. So as we look into your word, remind us of your son, remind us of what he said to us, and remind us of the gravity of the gospel uh, and how we have hope in a new creation in spite of the changing events around us. In your name, amen. Starting from verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the word of our Lord. All right, well, hey, good morning, everyone. And I just want to thank you all for the very warm welcome that we've had this morning. Uh, and welcome to, of course, those who are tuning in as well. You know, we are really excited to be here. We are looking forward to uh, getting to know people, uh, getting to know names, getting to know faces, or at least, you know, this part of your face today. You know, we'll do what we can. 
but you know, we want to, just want to say um, we are very thankful for the opportunity to be able to come down here, uh, to be able to join the team here at CPE. Uh, you know, one of my great delights and passions is to be able to open up the word with people. And so it's something we've been doing over the last 10, 12 years, but I'm really excited to be here to be able to open up the word with you this morning. And we'll be uh, looking at that passage in, uh, in John's gospel there from Jesus talking about him as the bread of life. Now, uh, we've just moved from the north side of Brisbane, I know, boo, kiss, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, one of the great debates that I think will never be resolved, that will never end, is, is the north side better or is the south side better? Is it nicer to live up there on the north side? Is it nice to live on the south side? Is the Sunshine Coast better or the Gold Coast better? Is uh, Wet and Wild and Dream World better than Aussie World and the Australian Zoo? Uh, one thing, though, that we have worked out that I reckon is true, and you can tell me if this is true, that food on the south side is definitely better. Am I right? Am I right? Yes. I'm hearing some good affirmative action there. Now, uh, you know, it's one of those funny things, isn't it? When you live on the north side and the south side, you almost never cross the river unless you work or have family across on the other side. Uh, but one of the things I think is undisputed, yes, food is better on the south side. Now, you should know that I grew up on the south side, so I'm familiar with this area. But, uh, you know, my wife uh, took her around to Market Square and she's walking around just in uh, an Asian food haven. It was amazing. It was great, wasn't it? Because the truth is, food is one of God's gifts to mankind, isn't it? Isn't food just wonderful? I mean, I know what you talked about when you talked about food, but for me, it's very much the enjoyment, the, just the experience of food. You know, the smells, the sights, the textures, uh, all of that, and be able to enjoy that with others. Uh, but you do use moves for, uh, food for all sorts of things, don't you? Uh, for sustenance. Every day you plan your life around food, about the food that you need to take in, the food you need to survive on. You know, I remember when I moved out of home, the question that uh, my mum would always ask me is, have you eaten yet? It's like, as I've moved out of home and suddenly I'm going to starve because uh, I don't have my mum to feed me there. Now, sometimes we use food to celebrate. I mean, uh, Christmas you know, Christmas starts starting to, to feel like a bit of a distant memory now, and uh, I don't know what your Christmases were like, but uh, maybe you had the big turkey out there, maybe uh, Christmas was a big feast of some description. Feast, Christmas starting to feel like a bit of a distant memory already, though, isn't it? That maybe for you, food is for comfort. You know, you raid the fridge, you raid the pantry when you're feeling a little sad or lonely, and uh, 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 you want to kind of take in that big tub of ice cream. Maybe you just use it for community. And I hear that CPE loves food and loves eating together. So another thing that we're really looking forward to. Well, the bottom line is, you know, we live a lot of our lives for food, don't we? Sustenance, celebration, for comfort, for community. We love our food. The thing about food, though, is that it never truly satisfies, does it? I mean, you will always need to eat again. Eat again for energy. You will always, uh, if junk food is your comfort, you know that an entire tub's ice cream will never make those hard feelings go away. The memories of the big degustation or the big celebration you've had, eventually those memories will fade. Now, Jesus is here saying, well, there is a food that will last. There is a food that will satisfy. 
And in John's Gospel, uh, we read the accounts of some of these famous speeches that, that Jesus has, and, and they're, they're called the I Am Statements, because there's a whole series of them uh, that he does through John's Gospel. And in these statements, we hear the most amazing things about Jesus. Jesus, he was the word at creation. He was the light that shines in the darkness. He's the giver of life. He's full of grace and truth. But today we're actually going to be looking at one more big thing to add to his resume, and that is Jesus. He's the, he's the king of food. He's the king of food. You see, uh, the passage we read earlier, um, let's see, get this working. It's not working for me. Um, Jesus, we read this, the passage earlier, which is actually the explanation of an awesome event that actually happens earlier in chapter 6 of John's Gospel. So uh, if you come down with me there in your Bibles, come down with me, follow me on with me, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, okay, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew what, in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Now, what truly, what happens next is indeed truly astounding. Uh, you know, the crowd, you know, they couldn't see beyond their stomachs, but and they were hungry there in the middle of the wilderness. But there with just five barley loaves and two fish, Jesus goes around and he feeds this flock, this whole stadium full of people, 5,000 people, and with leftovers. The disciples go out and gather baskets full of leftovers. Right, this is one of the most amazing events in Jesus' life. It's one of the few uh, miracles that's actually recorded in every single one of the Gospels. Amazing moment. But the crowd had a problem. In fact, the crowd had a big problem. They couldn't actually see beyond their own stomachs. <laughs> you see, they just had the most amazing miracle, miraculous meal experience to the point that they were Full, they, were, they were full of just a, a, few, uh, a few loaves of bread going to spread across 5,000, and yet they can only think of their physical sustenance they've just had. Right? They want more of that miracle food. They haven't yet begun to see that this is much more than about the fish and the loaves. This is about the man who's standing at the centre of it all. See, so read on with me from verse 26. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, that the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. See, food doesn't last long, does it? I mean, we've got fridges now, and that helps us to keep our food for a while, but leave food out of the fridge for a while and uh, you very quickly see what happens to it, don't you? I mean, I remember uh, discovering some maggots in our house once. You know, those little squirmy, little disgusting, little white worms and, uh, you know, they make that really disgusting popping sound when you squeeze them. Yeah, yeah, I've disgusted you all, turned you off food forever. No, see, that's what happens. Food spoils. It goes off. And in hot weather in a place like Brisbane, it goes off rather quickly, actually. But of course, what Jesus is saying here about food is, is it's actually just an illustration about life. 
about life. You see, we actually spend a lot of time attending to our physical needs, don't we? Uh, maybe you got up this morning, washed your face, maybe you had to shave, uh, brush your hair, uh, whatever it is, had a shower. You ate bre- breakfast, you had coffee. Uh, you fed your children, got dressed, brushed your teeth. That's just the morning. You know, just, you know maybe you're sitting here starting to think about your next meal. Maybe you're thinking about a chakwe chow up at Sunnybank later. See, food dominates our thinking, doesn't it? We think a lot about our physical sustenance, about the needs of our body. Let me ask you, how long did you think about caring for your soul? Are you as excited this morning about reading and getting into God's Word as you are about lunch? Do you spend time during your week contemplating Jesus, speaking in prayer to the God who cares for you, body, and soul. Jesus says, work for the food that endures to eternal life, of which only he can give you. Now look, Jesus actually knows that you need food, right? He's not saying go and live some foodless monastic life. I mean, he himself goes along to big wedding celebrations. Uh, He wants you to enjoy the good things of creation. Now, Jesus is asking the question, though, what is it that you live for? What is it that you toil for? What you strive for? What you're looking forward to? See, that's the kind of stuff, that's the, the substance of the things that you feed your soul. And some of us feed our soul with all kinds of things, things that don't satisfy. It's not just food, necessarily. Maybe, maybe you just live off the praise and appreciation of others of the popularity amongst your friends or the, the appreciation of your, of your parents, your boss, perhaps. Maybe it's for your career, your academic success. And you're working harder and harder and harder and striving and, and toiling harder for that. Maybe it's the stuff that you buy, you want to get your hands on, and so your house fills up with more and more stuff. And, and as someone who's about to move home in a day's time, let me tell you, man, our homes are full of a lot of stuff that we don't need. Maybe it's pleasure, maybe it's sex, maybe it's family, that they would grow up and be successful. Maybe that's the thing that you're toiling towards, that you're striving for, the thing that you feed your soul. And Jesus says that actually if you are feeding your soul on that, is that is what you are toiling for, that's what you're living for, you will always be dissatisfied. You will always be looking for the next hit. You will always be seeking something else. He says, don't work for the food that perishes. Don't toil and strive for that which will never satisfy you. As he says now in verse 28, they asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. There's a real irony in Jesus' reply there. You see, what do the crowd do? They go, well, okay, there is this, this amazing food that satisfies, this bread that will leave you never hungry. Well, tell us what we must do. Tell us what we can work towards. Give me the next thing to toil and strive towards. Because I'll go and work real hard for that just as I work for the other food. Well, I can just go and work really hard for this food, can't I? But Jesus says, no, this is your work. Believe in the one he sent. 
And the irony is that belief in itself requires no work, no toil. See, Christians believe that actually our work, our toil, our performance means nothing before God. As a preacher once said, your works would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Jonathan Edwards. You see, if you've been Christian for a while, you know this already. We are saved by our works. We are not saved by our works. Sorry, We are not saved by our works. We are saved by works, but not our works. We are saved by Jesus' works. His works. The work of his coming, his incarnation, the light that steps into the world, the, 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 the word that spoke uh, life into creation that comes down to earth. The work of Jesus as he dies on the cross as a sinless man for the sins of the whole world. And Jesus says, your role this is simple. Believe the one that God sent into the world. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's a really hard thing for us, though, isn't it? Because we want to know what we can do. We want to know what we can contribute. And Jesus says, no. Stop your toiling. Stop your working. Come to me. God has sent me into this world, the bread that can sustain you forever. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who had given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Right, see, Jesus comes out and he declares that actually he, he is this bread. He is the bread of life, right? He's not the giver of the bread. He is the bread. And he's actually pointing out that actually, you know, the miracle of the loaves is not the great miracle that's happened before you. The fact that he fed 5,000 people with a bit of bread, that's not the real miracle there. That miracle is to illustrate something greater, to point it to the real miracle, which is Jesus himself. Right? And he says, whoever believes in me, don't work for it. No, you believe in me. If you believe in me, you will have eternal life. You will find an eternal satisfaction that you can never find on earth. Now, for the uh, budding theologians out there, now, when in John's Gospel, whenever Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not just talking about life that goes on forever and ever and ever. He's actually talking about life in fellowship with the eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's saying that actually as you come into relationship with me, as you come in relationship with the eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's where you'll find your satisfaction. That's where you'll find the, the food that will feed your soul into eternity. See, Jesus says, eat of him and you will find eternal life. Now, figure of speech, of course, he's talking about as you trust in Jesus, as you find your life and satisfaction in him, that's where you'll find, find the eternal life that you can have with God. Eating and drinking means finding hope. It's finding our sustenance. Our eternity in Christ. That thing you yearn for, the thing that you're hoping for, the thing you're looking forward to, it's not your five-star meal that's coming up, it's not your pay rise, 
It's not your next vacation. It's not when your kids grow up and they behave better. No, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Here's the miracle. Here's the bread. Now, this actually leads to an interesting moment. As the chapter goes on, there's a, there's a real watershed moment, right? Because uh, what happens is that a lot of those, the disciples, the people who've been following Jesus around this wilderness, they come to actually to a point of decision-making. Some of them are completely sceptical of his claims. Some find him just plain weird and confusing. Some offensive. There's a whole variety of responses there and it's amongst the crowd, just as there would be amongst even this crowd. See, there's probably lots of people sitting here today and watching online and, and we're all at different places. Some, some of you have known Jesus from your youth, right? Uh, your challenge for you is not to become so familiar and to lose your sense of awe about who this, this Jesus is. You know, there were disciples who followed Jesus who were like, well, we know this Jesus. We, uh, we grew up with him. In fact, he's nothing special, really. Some of you maybe are just getting to know him. You're exploring, you're learning, you're taking in all that you can learn about this Jesus guy. Hey, you know, we love introducing people. I love sitting down and reading the Bible with people. Keep on exploring because you can see what Jesus is claiming here is that you'll never find true satisfaction out there in the world. You'll find it in me. But perhaps there's some of you for whom... You've kind of been around for a while. You've gotten to know Jesus, but you've never really made that commitment to him. And he comes to you saying, hey, come and believe in me. It's a simple thing. It's not a hard thing. You don't have to spend years and years researching. Get to know me and put your trust in me. Don't just sit on the fence forever. <coughs> you've got to make a decision. Jesus truly is the bread of life, the creator here in the flesh then he's the most important person in the whole world to get to know. But perhaps the biggest challenge for me personally that I've found as I've been reading this passage that, you know, I think I find myself very much like the crowd, following Jesus around, wanting the good things from Jesus, maybe even believing who Jesus is and and even knowing that I've got eternal life in him. And yet in my day-to-day business of my life, I actually spend very little time with Jesus, talking to him, relating to him. In fact, maybe I very much treat Jesus a bit like that eternal insurance policy. You know, when I die, I know I've got eternal life for me. But on the day-to-day aspects of life, well, you know, I get on with my life and being busy doing the things that I do. And I think Jesus is calling us to say, hey, you know, this isn't just about a transaction. You know, believe in me and you get eternal life. But he's actually inviting you into a relationship with him and a kind of sustaining relationship with him. A kind of relationship in which you can feed on Jesus every single day of the rest of your life. You see, as, as the gospel goes on, Jesus has to keep reminding the, the, the disciples. In fact, he, at, at several points, he actually says, you've just forgotten about the lows, haven't you? He points them back to this miracle to actually say, you live life and you are scared, you are afraid. You're living life in fear. Do you not yet understand? Jesus, the bread of life, is not something to just understand and believe once. It's not just about salvation, it's about your discipleship. 
It's about your teaching and training to feed, to learn to feed on Jesus day by day. We don't live in fear and scarcity and stress and anxiety. We live by faith, knowing that we can believe in the one who can feed 5,000 people with seven loaves of bread. See, maybe this year, as you're contemplating this year, all you can see is the stress and the anxiety of what's to come. The exams that you have this year. The business of your job or of your young family. And so we live by this sense of fear and scarcity, stress. And you're trying to push and push and push on your own strength. And as you see the challenges before you, you go, well, I just need to work harder. I need to put more time in. I need to be more productive. I need to be more efficient. And Jesus is calling us to a different kind of life, a different kind of discipleship. He's saying, no, no, don't just focus on what you can achieve and what you can accomplish today. If you do that, you will keep toiling for bread that doesn't last. And you will end up exhausted. You will live out of your fear, of your lack, of your exhaustion, of your burnout. See, right now today, I reckon Jesus is calling us to come and trust in him daily. To feed on the one who can, he can keep dishing out. You see, if you feed on him, you're feeding on one he can give out of this super abundance of being the son who was sent from heaven. Maybe this is the year that you actually need to slow down, to start living out of your relationship with Jesus, rather than just powering harder and harder on your own. Maybe it's a year that you commit to some daily practices that will keep you reflecting, contemplating what Jesus has done for you and how that empowers your life. See, there's a, there's a saying, it's, it's a little bit cheesy, but it is true, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not a pie in the sky for when you die, it's steak on the plate while you wait. See, it's a little cheesy, isn't it? But there's a sense in which Jesus is the food which sustains you every day. And he's still here on the ground by his spirit involved in your life day by day. And he wants you to feed on him daily. He wants you to spend time with him. He doesn't want you to be, spend your whole life just stressing, working, anxiety, stress, working harder. He wants you to spend time with him. And from that, you will find your sustenance, your satisfaction, a life that has a sense of that fellowship with the eternal God. Now, friends, don't let me speak as though that's an easy thing to do. In fact, uh, as Jesus stands in front of his disciples, there are those who do find this too hard and walk away. But at the same time, there are other disciples who are there and they get it. See, at the end of chapter, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, church, that's actually the response of the one who has come to understand who Jesus is and understand what it means to then become his disciple daily. Let me pray for us in light of that, and especially as we are at the start of the year in the the blur of COVID activity that's going on, let me pray that we'll be doing just that. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you most of all for Jesus. Father, he is indeed the miracle that you sent into our world, the miracle that breathes life into our world, the miracle that feeds us, body and soul. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can have eternal life in his name. And that's not just a future thing, there's something that we can enjoy now in fellowship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Father, in all the business of this year, in the craziness of this third year of this pandemic, Father, might we not live in fear, might we not live in that scarcity, might we live out of the abundance of the bread of life, your Son, who you have sent in this world. And Father, daily, might we continue to believe and trust him, might we live out of our relationship with him. Father, might you help us to take the time out to do that, most of all, out of all the things we could be doing in our day. Might we spend time with him, love him, be in awe of him. And indeed, might that be the fuel that sustains our life lived for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.